0: Spiritual practice, I've told you sometimes um, before that you tend to hear things from me that I need to be thinking about. <laughs> this is one of those. I needed to, to buff up a little on spiritual practice this winter, I think. Um, so it, it does seem a good thing to uh, revisit from time to time. So um, I always go first to the definitions of things so what is spiritual practice right so um, a long, a while back I looked this up in Wikipedia and I, you know I I love Wikipedia um, but here's their definition so spiritual practice or spiritual discipline including spiritual exercises is the regular or full-time performance of actions and activities undertaken for the purpose of cultivating spiritual development <laughs> Well, that makes it all really clear, doesn't it? That's a very self referential uh, definition. So, we, we're going to define spiritual practice by using the word spiritual over and over again. Um, and, you know, especially for us Unitarian Universalists, um, spiritual, it's not really clear. I think in some traditions, it means, spiritual, that means anything that's about God, right? And, well, God is an interesting topic for us. We did that last month. Um, you know, we we maybe need to wander around to a a definition that works better for us, that makes more sense. So what I did pull from the Wikipedia definition is a sense of spiritual practice as being, well, I'm going to do the Wikipedia thing and be self-referential. It's practical. It has concrete things that you do and it has, but it has a goal, and that goal is defined well in this definition. The goal is growth, spiritual growth in this case. And there is this element of performance. You do these things. Um, I really, really appreciate uh, Islam in terms of understanding spiritual practice. So I don't know who in this room might be familiar with um, Islam and how it is practiced. You've certainly heard of, of many of their um, tenets, and observant Muslims um, follow the five pillars of Islam. So I, I'm just going to list those here because I think it helps us get a handle on what spiritual practice might be. So the first is and I'm going to do my best with these words but I'm not certain I know the pronunciation Shahada the profession of faith so and that's the classic statement there is no God but God there's no there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is Allah's prophet okay that's the most important pillar that's the first one second one Salat which is the daily prayer five times a day and it that pillar includes preparation for that prayer so you wash before the prayer you face mecca you use set bodily positions you and it's it believed to be a direct link between the believer and god there's no intermediaries needed it's you know the individual and their prayer mat and orientation toward mecca the third pillar Psalm, fasting. The most uh, commonly known among us non-Muslims is the month of Ramadan, where fasting, it means no, eat, no eating or drinking from sunup to sundown. Uh, but there also includes in Ramadan is the idea of fasting from certain behaviors. Um, also, it's important to know that, that this fasting is forbidden to some people. If you're sick, or you're young, or you're old, um, the rules are very clear that, you know, fasting is um, that, that we need to make allowances for individual needs. And for travelers, there are adjustments to the rules. And also fasting is done for the purpose of cultivating sympathy with the hungry, okay? The fourth pillar of, of Islam is zakat, almsgiving. There's a set percentage of certain forms of wealth that is expected to be given away. All things belong to God is what this practice is trying to teach us. And so we human beings hold our wealth in trust and giving is a form of purification or pruning which allows new growth. And the fifth pillar of Islam is the Hajj, It's a once in a lifetime pilgrimage. The pilgrim wears special clothes, and um, their daily routines sort of have a specialized pilgrimage shape to them. Um, and there's a, there's a long time. Um, it, it happens in a you know a certain month of the year, and it's usually it's pretty it's a pretty rigorous undertaking. And there's also a radical sense of equality among all those people who are on Hajj when they get to Mecca, especially. So looking at these five, what I see, well first there is, there's the creed, what what I'm calling the creed, because that's what we call it in our language, the statement of belief, Um, and, and that involves the recitation of words. And obviously, practitioners of Islam do recite those words frequently. We all know them by heart, even though we are not Muslim. Um, and then there is also attention in all five of these pillars to orientation and physical positions or physical practices like eating and not eating. There's an altering of usual habits, sometimes doing ordinary things in very particular ways. It's just a choice to do you know, to do this in order to call attention to some value or um, some truth. Um, there is um, some of what is being addressed in these practices is social, economical, and economic inequality and in need, and these practices are adjusted to individual needs and circumstances, and finally what, what's really important is these are all habits that are built up in the faithful practitioners of Islam, right? So this is just one religion's version of spiritual practice. And I think Islam is fairly unusual in that it so clearly spells out such a comprehensive list of different kinds of practices and um, how they are uh, followed both on the individual level and on the communal level. So what I like is that they're, It gets us a sense of spiritual practice as something that's concrete and specific but also flexible and and realistic. You know, if you're traveling, this might not work, but you could maybe do that kind of thing. So we have now that spiritual practice is growth-oriented, and we have that it's the doing of something. I want to add that it also can be individual or it can be communal. And I add this, this, um, that, that spiritual practice to really be real practice has to be repeated. You don't learn to play violin beautifully by practicing one time. <laughs> you repeat it. You don't learn how to connect with and understand or experience what is spiritual or of ultimate concern by thinking about it one day you sitting here quietly in meditation is great but repeating it is what actually moves us toward growth. So my slightly revised definition of spiritual practice is that a spiritual practice or spiritual practices are practices that are repeated. Ideally, they're repeated. Occasionally, they don't get repeated but repetition I think is important and they do two things. They help us to be who we really are in uh, in ourselves, to be who we are, as ourselves, and who we really are in connection. And if you've listened to me for more than, oh, maybe five minutes, you probably caught that this is, I'm all about, everything is connected. And so every individual is their own self, and that is a mystery. And everything is all connected too. We don't there I do not, as much as I have this sense of myself as a discrete self, I am actually not separate from anything. I don't exist apart from everything else that exists, and you don't either. So that spiritual practice first helps us to be and and perhaps to understand, but I think more importantly to be who we really are. And the second thing is that it opens us to something. I have a list here. My list right now is delight and wonder and awe. Your list might be something different. But spiritual practices open us to an experience of something that our ordinary, regular daily lives may not. You know, Brushing my teeth is an important practice. It probably doesn't open me to any sense of connection. Although I don't know, I could use it to meditate on the microbiome and the <laughs> which which goes to really where I'm ending up is almost anything can be a spiritual practice. But so those two things. I think that's what makes a spiritual practice. It helps us be who we are and it opens us up opens us to experiences of of something that we wouldn't ordinarily experience. Um, so how 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 do you how do you do a spiritual practice or more importantly how do you find a spiritual practice um, I think looking at habits is a, an interesting way into that and if you if you like thinking about habits there's lots of tools in the world these days it's in the ether very much to be interested in habits so you can find people online. You can find books at the library. You can find podcasts, I'm sure, that will talk about habits and how habits form who we are. And that, um, I don't know, it seemed like when I was growing up, there was a lot of habits that that was sort of said as a bad word. (laughs) You know, you don't want to get stuck in a rut. You want to break, to be free is to break out. We're not culturally in that moment right now anymore. Now there's more attention to habits as something that create who we are and that we can change those habits. We can tweak them. We can decide which ones are the bad habits and which ones are the good habits. It seems to be right now we're exploring the idea that being human is, to some extent, about being habituated to certain behaviors, to feelings, um, to ways of doing things, to ways of paying attention. So the question then for spiritual practice becomes, how do we tweak those habits? How do we create new habits that open us up? That How do we bring intention and attention to our habits? How do we pay attention to what we're doing and think about where we would like to be going? How do we think about, as Frank said during the introduction somewhere, how do we think about moving toward healing and wholeness, for example? How do I be? How do I learn to move in the world as if I am wholly myself? If, as if I am healed, or able to be moving toward healing. Um, so the good news, I think, about spiritual practice is that you are already doing it. And I don't care what you're doing or not doing. You showed up here this morning. And this gathering in community and singing songs, reciting the principles, um, Doing Joys and Concerns is a wonderful spiritual practice done in community. Sitting in meditation for a few moments of quiet. Listening to words that are inspiring. Um, All of these are spiritual practices. And I'm looking around and I recognize, I think, maybe all the faces in the room today. So you're repeating it, too. (laughs) So you're already doing spiritual practice. Um, and I've, I've always been curious. I think sometimes we, we do living things. I think life always moves towards health and towards wholeness. Uh, and so it's interesting to me that we, we do things that are spiritual practices, sometimes without knowing them. And I'll, I'll give you an example of something from my own life. Uh, when I started thinking about spiritual practices several years ago... Uh, I realized that one of the things I was doing, at that, at that time I was commuting a um, couple times a week, driving, you know, and well, yeah, I was driving a bunch. <laughs> and I, um, like I have done always and still do, I notice when the hawks are flying overhead, when I'm on the highway, you always see them. And I love them. I love to watch the hawks. And um, I had sometime... Uh, early in my adulthood, mentioned to my mother, oh, yes, I always, I always notice the hawks. And she said, oh, your father used to do that. My father died when I was 18, so I didn't remember that I learned noticing the hawks from him. But once she told me, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, several, you know, Many years later, a couple decades later, I'm spending lots and lots of time in the car and also learning how to be a minister and thinking about spiritual practices. And I realized, oh, this is one of my practices of remembering. This is, in fact, a spiritual practice for me. It is something that I do. Now, the cue is not a schedule. I don't have a habit of, oh, it's 10 o'clock now. I'm going to go see a hawk. The cue is external the hawk flies overhead and I happen to be driving along that stretch of road and I see it, but I always notice, I'm always happy to see that, that soaring, or interested, what's going on today, or how many, wow there's a lot, the wind must be really nice up there. But, and it always made me think of, since my mother told me that I learned to do this from my father, I then always think about my father too, and I'm glad for this, um, this something extra that's in my life, because he paid attention to things like that, too. I happen to know I was always, as a kid, what I was delighted by when we drove were cloud shadows. <laughs> and my mother tells me, has told me that now when she sees them, she thinks of me. you know. So this is the, this is the kind of thing, but paying attention to that brings me back, to my childhood it brings me back to the fact that i am connected to these other people who have ridden around the world in cars with me and it's a lovely practice it's and i didn't i didn't try hard to be a spiritual being to create these practices they just happened and i'm willing to bet that there are many things in your own lives that are like that as well so sometimes practicing being a human being just means paying attention to what we're already doing and doing it with a little bit of slightly different intention the way that my noticing the hawks routinely became an intentional sort of remembering of my father so how do you, how do you look for if if you were interested maybe in looking for spiritual practice or thinking about spiritual practice in your life. Well, I, I, this, I did this several years ago and I've added to it since then, but I have a list of potential spiritual practices and it doesn't matter what's on the list here actually. The point is that it's very long. And there are, there are many, many possibilities. There are obvious ones like breathing and prayer, meditation. Um, for us, you use, oh, reading and studying things. That can be a spiritual practice. It also can be a distraction from it. Some of what matters is your intention um, when you do it. But exercise can also be a spiritual practice. Um, Yoga, many people find to be a spiritual practice. Although, interestingly, yoga was actually developed to sort of settle the body so the real work of spiritual practice could begin for the practitioners. Um, I know one of my very favorite UUs has in the past said that committee meetings are their spiritual (laughs) discipline. (laughs) My spiritual practice is committee meetings. And I think that's great, and the world could, actually, I like, I like meetings too. Um, so that can be a spiritual practice with the intention of becoming more fully who you are and understanding how you fit in the world and how things, how things change in ways that open up the holy for ourselves and for other people. Committee meetings can do that sometimes, you know? Um, dancing, singing, traveling, pilgrimage. So travel can sometimes just be travel. And sometimes travel can be eye-opening and enlightening and can show you the world and how you fit in it in a new way. Work, work can be soul-numbing and mind-numbing. And work can also be a way in which we connect with the world and other people in the world. It, it can be either. So many of these things can be. Sleeping can be a spiritual practice. Many of us are sleep deprived. Sleeping can also be a way to avoid life. Things can go both ways. Um, sometimes an important spiritual practice is, is, um, involves saying, I need help therapy, counseling, spiritual direction, regular coffee dates with wise friends, um, perhaps gathering in, in groups that you know are nourishing for your soul, for your spirit. These can all be spiritual practices. There is something, though, that the folks who are experts on the topic of spiritual practice, which would not be me, they, there is something about solitude And one can do solitude in groups. When we sit in meditation and are quiet with each other, we're doing both. We're being with each other and we are experiencing moments of solitude. But um, I found a wonderful paragraph from Wendell Berry. This is from The Unforeseen Wilderness. It's a book he wrote about Kentucky's Red River Gorge. He says this, always in big woods, When you leave familiar ground and step off alone into a new place, there will be, along with the feelings of curiosity and exciting, excitement, a little nagging of dread. It is the ancient fear of the unknown and it is your first bond with the wilderness you are going into. You are undertaking the first experience, not of that place, but of yourself in that place. It is an experience of our essential loneliness, for nobody can discover the world for anybody else. It is only after we have discovered it for ourselves that it becomes a common ground and a common bond and we cease to be alone. So there is, I think, to a good balanced life of spiritual practice, I think you need to be looking for solitude and do you have some of it in your life some of us have too much solitude and need to be looking for practices of being together with people. Um, but I think we all do well to attend to that solitude. Because, yes, we are all connected. But no one's connected in precisely the ways you are. So you might think when you're trying to figure out about it, there's all kinds of good questions. Um, I, got, I loved from the book? What is the special song that only you can sing? That's a good question. That might lead you to all manner of spiritual practices. Um, What is it that brings you to yourself, to your gifts and how they come alive in the world? Maybe you should practice something very small. Be in the habit of doing that with the intention of considering. What is it? What is my special song? Um, every now and then with use, I really like to read from the Bible because there's some good stuff in there actually. This is actually in our hymnal, so it's been pre-screened. It's Unitarian Universalist approved. It's number 699 if you don't believe me. Um, it's from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And he says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So that's a good place to start too. I like that there's lots of options. If honor doesn't work for you, you can go to lovely. You know? um, If good report makes no sense, think about purity, um, truth, and... Yeah. Think on those things. So what things does it help you to think on? Maybe even just noticing that. Because um, ultimately, we can't do the work of self-awareness and discernment and Oh, here's the other thing I forgot to say. I do think finding the right spiritual practices involves experimenting, and that's a lifelong process because what I did that worked really well for me when, say, I was a brand-new mom, what, what I did then, and probably the only thing I did then was to write down. I had a little gratitude journal, and every night I would list things I was grateful for. And when you have a small child, there's always something Um you know, but it was like the sky was blue, or he was crying and David took him outside and he stopped <laughs> crying. Yay. Um, there's, you know, I kept a gratitude journal. Um, I haven't done that in years now. I, I've, I've on. I'm always, I'm always experimenting with different things. I, I probably don't do enough of the consistent repetition. Um, but you can't really get to discerning what spiritual practice might be good for you, I think, without considering why bother anyway. There is this sort of this goal of growth. And so, okay, so like, why? I mean, why is it that is, is it our third principle? I wrote that down somewhere. Because one could, as a spiritual discipline, memorize our seven principles. That would be, that would be really useful, especially if one were a minister. Um <laughs> But our third principle is acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth. So why is that so important to us? Why do we put that in that long list? And that list that includes the worth and dignity of every person and the creation of justice in the world and the, the right of conscience and the use of democracy, go vote, Ryan's right. Um, world community, peace and liberty for everyone. Um, Why is this encouragement to spiritual growth in there, in that list? Um, And I think it's because those seven principles actually all belong together and you can't do the justice without a solid sense of yourself. You can't do it in ways that are sustainable and helpful and move the whole world toward more love and more justice if you are unsteady if you don't know who you are, if you don't have a well-developed sense of, I'm gonna call it humility, and I mean humility the way I did a sermon several, I don't I don't remember when, um, but humility I don't mean in the sense of, oh, I'm so little. I mean humility in the sense of knowing truly who you are and how you fit into things. And you know, the way you fit is everything's connected. Remember, so it's not a small vision of who we are at all. When you know that the what is about your life and who you are is what you're going for that's what you want to know better and when you know that what you want to be about is being connected to creating more love and more justice in the world then i think it's a little easier to figure out which practices (laughs) might help and I, i I want you to think humbly, and by here I do mean kind of bring, bring your expectations down a little bit, because you can follow clickbait all day that says, oh, 10 ways to make sure you're X, or seven ways to do this right, or you've been doing this wrong, here's the right reason, here's the right way and how to do it. Um, and those only get you so far, because we are all different from each other. And we all have um, our own spiritual path, and those are different from each other. So, if we are seeking humility and justice, I think there's a couple of tricky things. One, I think to be human, and, and the things I've been reading about neuroscience and how our brains work and such, it kind of keeps reinforcing an intuition I've had for years that in every situation, one of our really basic choices is to move and act out of fear or out of love. And I think these are actually like different parts of our brains, and it's it's partly just which ones get activated. So I think that spiritual practices, practices that remind us of who we are, and remind us that we can grow and change, and remind us that we are already connected to the source of ourselves, whatever we understand that source to be, that remind us that we are all connected to each other already, and hold up these visions of how we might be better connected, how we might create more justice and more love. Those practices help us in the moments when life happens, to choose love. So when you're having the week that's humming along, and your life is fine, and the people around you start spinning out, maybe significant people, maybe people who's spinning out really matters to you and you have to pay attention, or the new thing gets added, the new task, um, or something in your own life, your health, or... Um, a mistake you made that you didn't know and somebody brings it to you and tells you, oh, look. (laughs) Um, when, When these things come up, because they will come up, life always happens, then we have a chance. If we've done our work of practicing, remembering who we are, we have a chance of either being already knowing that we're connected, that we have value, that we can choose love, or we have a habit of doing something that calls us back to that. So we can either choose to try that right there in that moment, whatever our practice is. Okay, what am I grateful for here? (laughs) You know, my so-and-so who has dumped all this stuff on me feels safe to tell me all this. That's a good thing to be connected. You know, we we can remind ourselves or... Because we've made it a habit, we're going to eventually get to the next time we're scheduled to do that thing, and we go, oh, oh, yeah, maybe I want to go back and rethink how I responded or re-engage in that conversation or just adjust my own attitude or allow myself to leave that and, and continue with the work I'm doing. So this being humble... Being, Seeking humility, a true sense of ourselves, and creating justice is a really hard and a really necessary project. It involves knowing ourselves. It involves being able to return to ourselves when we get knocked a little off. And it, it, in, it, it requires a, a feeling um, of connected. It requires that we feel, I cannot read what I wrote. <laughs> Anchored. That's a good word. Yes, that was worth reading. It requires that we have an anchor, that we know, we know we're know we okay, that we can turn, return to a felt sense of being okay when we get knocked off that feeling, and that we know we are supported. We are not here all alone. Um, and and we, have some, we have some habits that help us remember that we are not alone. So those, I think, are the fruits of, of spiritual practice, and I find them very helpful in moving through the world. And I want to visit a story yeah. um, that just um, also says, whatever your spiritual practice You need to keep a little lightness about it and a little bit of flexibility because life and spiritual growth never ever go exactly as planned so this is a story it was written by Kate Compton or written down anyway it was in a collection it's called the water of life and um, there's three people they go out searching for the water of life they've heard there's a spring somewhere they want to go they'll drink from it They'll, they'll have imbibed the water of life, and things will be great. The first one was a warrior, and so he reckoned that getting to the water of life would be a, um, would be a big undertaking and that that water was going to be a mighty torrent rushing over a cliff. So he went in full armor with all his weapons, believing, believing that he could force the water to yield. second person was an enchantress, so she reckoned that the water of life would be extremely magical, of course. Um, Perhaps it's a whirlpool or a geyser, something she would need to manipulate with spells. So she went in her ceremonial garb, and you know, her, I'm imagining she carried her spell book with her because she knew that she would need to be able to outwit the water of life. The third was a trader. He reckoned that the water of life would, of course, be very costly. Maybe it's a fountain of pearl drops or diamonds. So he loaded up all his clothes and his bags and everything he could carry with money hoping that he'd be able to buy the water. So it turns out it wasn't a torrent or a waterfall to be intimidated by force. It wasn't a whirlpool to be charmed with spells. It wasn't a fountain of pearl drops or diamonds that could be bought. It was just a teeny tiny sparkling spring coming up out of the ground at the base of a tree. So to actually drink it, what you had to do was get down real close to the spring and drink from the ground this caused problems the warrior had his armor he couldn't bend the enchantress could bend but you know that ceremonial gown was kind of precious the embroidery around the bottom was sure to get muddy and then the you know the trader was so loaded down he'd barely managed to walk to the spring let alone actually maneuver around getting his mouth anywhere near the water so the only thing that could happen was for them to to get undressed. They had to take off everything they thought was preparing them to meet this source of life. They had to simply take it off, be willing to let it go and engage with the spring down, you know, down low, close to the ground. And then they could kneel to drink from the water of life and receive its sweet, cool, startling benefits. So. Whatever sort of spiritual practice you have or decide that you'd like to try, and I do recommend just trying and not worrying about it if it doesn't work, try something else. But whatever you do, be prepared, just somewhere in the back of your mind, tuck away this knowledge that it might turn out sometime that you've not been able to guess at all what's coming at you. And what you might need to do is step outside of everything you've been doing, all the clothing, all the tools you've brought, and just be in the moment with whatever is in front of you. And that, too, is a spiritual practice. So I'd like you to remember this. And I hope that your spiritual practice will help you to remember this. Within us and all around us is our source. My hope is that we each find the practices that teach us to return to it, to heed it, and to honor it and all that is. May it be so.